Flights. You are listening to Marvel Fullist, and I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. We're going to do something a little bit different this week. We are taking a dive into Marvel Unlimited. If you don't know, Marvel Unlimited is our amazing subscription service with over 27,000 comics at your fingertips, whether you're on a desktop or a mobile device. We have so many great stories in here. Tucker, we chose a classic. What are we choosing? What are we talking about? We are talking about Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. Obviously, like we had a million different options here, a million different choices. We kicked around a bunch, but uh, it, it, it felt right, didn't it? It sure did. Uh, this is probably one of my, if not my favorite story, one of my all-time favorite stories. So yeah. this one is an easy one for me to dig into. Uh, we're turning this into a little bit of a reading club. What would you, listener, want to talk about in a future reading club? We're thinking for next episode, War of the Realms or mm. the first uh, couple of issues of Venom by Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman and company. We want to hear from you. You can tweet us at Tucker Marcus at agent m use hashtag marvel's pull list let us know what you want to dive into and then hopefully we'll be bringing in some of the guests who are either the writers or artists of the comics we'll be talking about or people who work at marvel who have like some great reflections on these things to help us uh really flesh these out i think it's going to be a lot of fun yeah i mean uh pretty lucky that there are some some half decent stories through the years that we can cover. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. You know what? Let's dive into things. Um, so Infinity Gauntlet ran from May 1991 to October of 1991. Tucker, were you alive when this series was being published? <laughs> no. Didn't think so. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, what were man. you what were you doing from May? What were you doing in May of 1991? I don't know. I don't have a good idea of when children are in what part of school. So I was in. <laughs> yeah, not me either. Something th grade th third, third, fourth, fifth, something. I don't know. <laughs> but I do vaguely remember I was reading Wizard Magazine sort of around this time. So they, they were talking about it. That got like my interest peaked. But I think I came to this one a little bit later from its initial release. But I was 10 years old when it was coming out. What was your first connection to Infinity Gauntlet? I couldn't even tell you. I, I think it's it's actually interesting, though, that despite my knowledge and whatever my knowledge level was, when I first heard about or started reading or got into this story, it still, I think, not only stood out in terms of how people talked about it and how it had kind of stood through the years as this seminal moment in like comic book history but also how well it stood out and how much it stood out in just in terms of the quality and like just in terms of the writing quality not even in terms of the story you know what i mean i think about those two different elements a lot in terms of just like despite how the media might have changed or how writing styles or different things might have changed how like there is something undeniable about a story like this. Yeah. Let's get into the credits for the series. So it was written by Jim Starlin. Uh, pencils for almost half of the series by George Perez. The other half by Ron Lim. Inks by Joseph Rubenstein and Tom Christopher. We have colors by Max Scheel and Ian Laughlin. And then letters by Jack Morelli. We'll get into the George Perez and Ron Lim of it all. But let's just 
open this up if listeners if you are uh if you want to you know read along with us if you know i I think it would be fun to just dive in it's on marvel unlimited we have it in like a million lists and it's one of the like the landmark marquee books for the service and we'll also make sure to link it in our show notes here but the first issue you got the opening panel and the lettering layout has this like star wars vibe to me i don't know what it is it's just really cool and I was thinking about us having this conversation because you being the you know big Star Wars fan, but I was like, ah, something about this feels spacey and cosmic from the get-go. That's really interesting. And it's something I hadn't thought about before. But I wonder how deliberate that kind of choice is. It's something about like the shape of the panels, how you're kind of, it seems like you're kind of phasing through space and you're going to land at a certain point. It, it, it's, it's really, really subtle work. And it's so impressive. It really sets the tone in terms of the scale. Like somehow immediately, you know, this is a space epic. And hey, speaking of the the credits, the credits in the first issue are how they're kind of illustrated and shown is just awesome. It's so cool. Yeah, they're carved into stone in the big double page spread. That's pages two and three. But the first page, though... Now that I, I like, I sit back and I look at it, such a ballsy first page to just be like footsteps in ground, a starry background, desolation, and caption boxes. It's just like it belies yeah. what will be one of the biggest stories in Marvel history. I, I think that's what it is. It's the level of control that's on display here. The way that Starlin slowly introduces you to the world, to the characters. I think it does a better job, a more effective job than if we were immediately, boom, like thrust into the middle of some, you know, crazy space battle because it's that it's the water glass in Jurassic Park. You know what I mean? You just feel the reverberations of this thing that you're getting ready to dive into before you even see any characters. It's so cool. But it is also kind of right in the middle of a big story because, yes, Infinity Gauntlet opens and this is the bulk of the story that people know, but Jim Starlin had been building to this for almost two years, roughly two years in the pages of Silver Surfer and then the Thanos quest. And there is so much road that he had already paved that the book opens and Thanos is already God. Like that's the double page spread that we're talking about where the words God are. He's just like, you know, put that together just as like a a little goof. Look at me. I'm a, I'm a crazy boy. I'm just going to say I'm God. It's him. And he's hanging out with Mephisto and taking like the embodiment of evil and making him a lackey is such a baller move. I think for one, in terms of the continuity aspect of it, like you're mentioning, this has got to be the high water mark. This has got to be what Marvel editors talk about all the time when they say like, okay, we have so much stuff going on in these various series. If we're building to a big event, if something like that is happening, this is the perfect example of if you've been reading the whole time, you know every little beat is is accounted for. But if you're diving in for the first time here, then it works beautifully either way. But I think if you're reading it in the larger, broader continuity in terms of Silver Surfer and Thanos Quest and everything going on that led up to this... It's so cool knowing that, like, we are starting at this fever pitch. Like, we are kind of in this climactic moment in issue number one. I'm also reflecting on the fact that 
this is 1991. Thanos has been out of pretty much out of comics and dead for years. Like he's been out of the out of action. Adam Warlock has been dead. These characters have been forgotten. And that's when Starlin comes into Silver Surfer. He bring he starts putting this back into motion because these are his characters. These are the stories he wants to tell. But as you, you go from something that has been sort of pushed away into a file cabinet to being now one of the marquee stories in our history. Before Infinity Gauntlet started, do you have a sense of like where Thanos stood in terms of the pantheon of like great Marvel villains? Yeah, I, I think he had been for a little bit of a, a little bit of time a punching like a, a, a joke think about the thanos copter and stuff like that where he's like yeah, has yeah, the yeah. cosmic cube and he like fumbles it out of his hands uh, <laughs> fighting hellcat like that's part of continuity but right he also like starlin envisioned him as this epic force in the cosmos and he wrote a lot of those stories and you know there's avenger stories where it's like the avengers and the thing and all these other characters have to battle him and he he's a big force but he never hit that like i don't feel like he ever hit a level like kang definitely not like dr doom or others also because he wasn't around as much he didn't have as much face time so while he was dangerous he was never resilient enough or used enough to make a permanent mark in people's heads and so the two years before infinity gauntlet or a year and a half or whatever it was he's just showing up in silver surfer again he's just showing up in the two prestige format issues of thanos quest which probably didn't sell a ton of mo- a ton of copies right because people aren't like oh yeah thanos eh. it's like there's something very special about it where you go back and you read it and you're like, oh, wow, this means this is doing a whole lot. But at the time, I can't imagine it was like a hot, hot book. Just on that level, just on that character level, it's so cool to know that just like, boom, this is the story that elevates a character into being one of the heaviest hitters in the entire like history of comics. It's so cool. Yeah, in some ways, think of it like, War of the Realms and Malekith, uh, mm. you know, like Jason Aaron and company did a lot more road building for Malekith in the Thor books. But Malekith, he wasn't in a ton of stories, you know, like he had memorable stuff during Walt Simonson's run, but it wasn't like he's not Loki. Right. Uh, right. Thanos is, you know, his arch nemeses were Adam Warlock and Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel been dead for 10 years and Warlock is B-level. So there's a lot of similarities in that. I, I love that we have this discussion, but I want to dive into the first issue because yeah. in this issue, I want to start thinking about our favorite and most memorable panels and moments and lines for each issue. One of them that I'll close my eyes, especially now being a father of a, now she's like six months old. There's Thanos does the, um, he does the snap, which is in and of itself, one of the greatest bits in, in comics now, Yeah, but he like destroys half the universe and there's just panels of people disappearing. And one of them is a mother with a carriage. And then she she looks down and the baby is gone. And it is, it's so terrifying. As someone who is constantly afraid of whether or not his child is breathing, which I'm sure every parent is at some point, that is a nightmare scenario. Are you talking about the opening of the story? I think maybe my favorite character in this entire book is Mephisto. I love how Starlin writes this character. 
he's just delicious. You know what I mean? He's like so fascinating. He's so evil. He's sniveling. Like he's the definition of sniveling to me in the, in that moment right before the snap when he is kind of in awe like you know mephisto himself being like one of the most powerful villains in the marvel universe and then like he's just watching i love that little character moment where he he, he like looks at him and just says he's really going to do it i think that's so cool and it's moments like that that i was talking about where it's just like you know you could isolate that page and be like you can just tell how special it is I always say that he's uh, he's warm tonguing Thanos throughout. Yes, While yeah. half the time he is sniveling and genuinely afraid, he's also whispering and twisting and manipulating and coming up with ten different ways to scheme and destroy the yeah. Thanos. All credit to George Perez in these issues too, because his panel layouts and his storytelling in the way he frames every page is beyond measure. Like it's sick. It's it's nuts. It's it's sick. Yeah. It's crazy. It's beautiful. There's one panel of Thanos. It's like a flashback of what had happened in the pages of Silver Surfer. Thanos messing with Surfer and Drax, and they're all twisted and messed up. And it's that maniacal bent that he gives to Thanos that you see throughout the series. Yeah. The sneer, that like horrifying smile that Thanos has is almost like expanded when you look at what he's doing to surfer and drax it's just so cool like and the 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 glint in his eyes you see that a lot that effect that he gives him of just like the spark of using the gauntlet and just coming out of malice it's it's beautiful i'm sure this book has been taught in academia in terms of just like graphic novels and comics and just storytelling and and how effective it is in that way and rightfully so because you watch it and you're like this is an education in terms of how to do this yeah. Particularly, I want to look at the, the two pages with Captain America and the Avengers, because the first panel of which is it looks a little bit like Frank Miller work in the way mm. Captain America is shadowed and the framing with the flag behind him. It's beautiful work. And it's just like normal day. And then you turn the page and boom, Cersei and Hawkeye disappear. Captain America is freaking out. He's like, what's going on? And then, you know, Starlin comes in and he just nails it. And Cap says, I felt so helpless and scared because deep down inside I knew this was only the beginning. And then in like last panel, wide shot, Avengers headquarters at the time, silent, quiet. The use of silent stuff yeah. throughout this book is so clever and well done. Like a panel doesn't need to have a sound effect or, you know, a big bit of dialogue. It could just breathe. And like all the panels with death because she is not, she doesn't speak throughout the story. Mm-hmm. She looks and she pierces and oh, it's so freaking good. That's that's such a great note because I think any great story, like your peaks and your valleys need to be, they need to find balance. And I think the biggest action stories, no matter the medium, require those moments of silence, of reflection where you can just actually have a second to take a deep breath and be like wow you know you know actually register all the stuff that's going on around you and uh yeah those moments in here are like i agree some of my favorites one little fun thing i wanted to point out for the first issue that uh, hulk is drinking at smiling stands bar and grill uh which (laughs) i i don't think i ever put that together until reading it for this uh for this podcast 
so we asked a bunch of fans, you know, what their favorite moments, memories, reflections of the uh, of the series were. So we're going to try to pepper them in throughout. Uh, Jay Nadiger at Jay Nadiger on Twitter, who is a buddy of mine. He actually works on story stuff for Ubisoft, and he worked on the Far Cry series, Assassin's Creed series. Great dude, big comic book fan. He says a lot of good moments, but I have to say that the cover for Infinity Gauntlet number one is undeniably an all time great. Uh, while we're we're definitely using Marvel Unlimited here, there's a deluxe edition of the collection for Infinity Gauntlet, which you can get at your local comic shop, and that has um, versions and sketches of most of the covers for the series. Some of them they had to change after George Perez originally did them because costumes changed from what his reference was to what they were in the story, which I found really really fascinating. Insurgent222 on Twitter had the same note as you did about Mephisto. He oh, says, yeah. I like how even Mephisto is in awe in the scene of the snap. I, I feel like we could do an entire episode literally on that page. Yeah. All right. Let's jump to issue two because I, I think here you really start to see George Perez on another level doing some of maybe some of my favorite work of all time. So the opening page of issue number two is this just like super close up shot of Thanos and he's got the gauntlet and it's wild and terrifying. And then you go to the next pages, double page splash of like a jet having crashed on fifth Avenue in New York city. Tucker, we work two blocks away from where this (laughs) happens. Like I can turn myself in the right direction and I know exactly where this is. Yeah. I love this issue because it immediately digs into the most, for me, the most fascinating questions that emerge out of everything that happens in issue one out of the snap in terms of the scale of the catastrophe in terms of how regular people are dealing with it and most fascinating for me how like super villains are dealing with it which is so awesome yeah and you know they could have just had the title of the issue on the previous page or on this page just up at the top the title being from bad to worse but the lettering is done in such a way where george perez draws she hulk into the words the letters for bad in like increasingly close up where you end with a d really tight on her eyes and just this you can see the the fear in her face in her eyes it's so beautiful and then worse shows the jet with a stream of you know smoke behind it it's some next level stuff to think about doing that where he doesn't have to That's the whole thing. He doesn't have to make these choices. He's doing them consciously and elevating the work so, so far up. I think it's also interesting that I think Doom is the only villain we see in the proper series. Right. Which, you know, Doom is above all, so it makes sense. He's, He's the only one who rates. It's also fascinating that Thanos, either consciously or subconsciously, took the Fantastic Four off the board when he did the snap, but didn't take Doom. Right. Um, Almost (laughs) his downfall. Right. Part of what's going on, Thanos is also like picking people to come to his party. So he's grabbed Nebula, who is just a gnarled zombie at this point, making her just like walk around his, his little party space. He grabs his brother, Eros, aka Star Fox, which I think is such a great inclusion and then one of the panels that like is burned into my brain is the shot of Star Fox without a mouth. It's so freaky. I just I'm always <laughs> going to remember that panel. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and then the next page, it's just like, okay, I guess I'll draw 32 characters and little boxes. Very, very tiny, but super detailed on this page. Why not? I love that page so much. As a kid, I would look at this page and try to figure out why. Mm-hmm. Like, why? I think there are two Eternals on here, Makari and Cersei. But why only the two of them? Why US agent, but not Captain America? As a kid, I was like, I need to know why these characters are up here, why they're chosen. It's yeah. great. It's so fun. This issue has a cameo by Alf in a shot where Pip, Pip the Troll, is watching TV in a hotel. I guess you, you weren't around for the Alf craze, were you? I wasn't. But I uh, what do I know about Alf? I know that Alf eats cats. Yep. Accurate. And uh, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but one of my favorite bits is Thanos getting angry. And yeah. he just gets so pissed off. And with the gauntlet, he just lashes out. And that sets off the real devastation in the universe. I think it's a, once you step back from that, it's like the snap removes half the universe, but everything kind of can function. Earth is still happening. It's just people, they have to figure out what to do now. This sends a shockwave, which throws Earth off its axis and throws it out of its orbit. So that causes the real destruction in the planet. And that is where things like truly become horrifying like the shot like you start to get into what you're talking about the more like down to earth bits that we get through this issue is just man it's brutal and i also love how we have our little wolverine moment in there as well yeah he's like i saved you but i don't know if that that was a good thing or not um (laughs) and then like you, you know you get new york city you get california where iron man comes down from orbit and he's like the west coast of the united states is just gone and again another tight shot of an eyeball that it's so beautifully done you can see that fear emanating here's a question ryan george perez we talked about like where thanos stood before this story began how was george perez thought of in terms of like great marvel artists so was this the moment where it's just like oh man this is the this is the level up moment for this artist who was already incredible and now we see them as fully in their own voice and at an elite level is it was it that or was he already you know the kind of all-star he was already an all-star but he wasn't as much of an all-star over here um, hmm. He had done tons of Marvel work. He was mostly at Marvel in the 70s, did a lot of Avengers work in the 70s, but he did Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, right. five years beforehand. And that was his star turn. And that was like, you know, where you saw the amazing artist become one of the greatest of all time. And this is just like him having refined that five years later and becoming better and better and better and better. Um the story moves so quickly. That was just the, like the second issue of like destruction, this, this, like pieces moving into place and you see how the story is like shifting around so much. Some of the, the folks who chimed in was like Trey Lawson saying, my first real exposure to Adam Warlock was in Infinity Gauntlet. He says, I remember struggling to get my head around what his deal was. Best my kid brain could come up with at the time was sort of space Doctor Strange. <laughs> Guillaume D at SV Play tweeted out the pages from uh, the the page of Namorita because it was so good. 
Corey Little at Corey Ichabod says the Silver Surfer crashing into the Sanctum, Spider-Man seeing people disappear slash freak out, the heroes going up against Thanos and losing and Cap standing up to Thanos, all of his favorites. That, that's across issues one, two, and three, all epic pieces. Awesome. All right, let's dive into issue number three, which is like really hammering home the bleakness of everything that is going on. Nick Fury finds out that the force wave has officially derailed the planet from orbit and the earth slowly drifting away from the sun. And again, the, the way this is done, it's like shot, shot, shots overhead, you know, up close, up close, pull back. And then a wide space shot of the helicarrier in orbit to just sort of like pull back and let everything sink in. I think it's such smart storytelling. That black widow sequence it goes without like a lot of dialogue, like not not a lot of captions, and it's really really cool. I think it allows you just to dive into that action in such a fascinating way. They use the Black Widow sequence to be like, yeah, she's not going to be able to help, but right. we've got all these people, and I just love the montage of like, do 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 do, here they oh, come, yeah. here are the heroes, it's Iron Man and Spider Man, and then Wolverine <laughs> and Drax and you know Fire Lord and Nova and namor and cloak it is just like like a bouncy fun bit to all this despite everything else being absolutely awful i want to give a shout out to another little cameo that george perez drew in of the toxic avenger there's a little poster for uh, a toxic avenger movie on a wall in uh in one of the panels with incredible hulk we also used to publish toxic crusader comics that was the more kid-friendly version of the toxie series it's so fun it's like completely unnecessary but perfectly perfect i think Uh, that that really characterizes so much of the work that's going on in here where it's just like okay if you took out so many of these little details you'd be like yeah this would still be one of the best stories of all time but there's something about that extra effort, whether it's like a fun reference like that or whether it's something like the big title of issue number two. It's just those little details where you really kind of it settles into your mind of just like, yeah, this is why this is thought of as highly as it is. Yeah. And then we start to get into like the broader scope of what is ahead. I love the line that Quasar has. He's like, the silver and golden surfers. Uh, Quasar, <laughs> such a goof because he sees Silver Surfer and Adam Warlock show up and then double page splash, this big cosmic gathering, which is, I remember as a kid, another this again, I would look at this page and be like, wow, this is, this is something special. This is something cool. This is something unprecedented. You got Celestials and, you know, all Kronos and, and Eternity and the Watcher and all these different next level above reality beings. Side note, I am a huge Living Tribunal fan. The best. If only just because that character design is, like, so haunting and awesome at the same time. So cool. So, so good. I think we had a uh, a comment in here from Bavon Thomas, B. Thomas, on Twitter, saying, Hulk and Wolverine hanging out together is one of his favorites. Surprisingly sweet. I think it's sweet that many of Hulk's closest associates among the superhero community, Wolverine thing, etc. The Wolverine and Hulk have this conversation uh, that I love where Hulk is like, I've come to the conclusion that I like you, Shorty. In our own ways, we're both monsters, pal. 
I love that so the, much. And the, there's great Hulk like character stuff going on in here. And I and I, I love that. It it adds such amazing texture to the like hero side of this story because it's not just this like monolithic, like united front of just like well, we gotta go do hero things. You know, there are complexities built into that and there are character relationships which play a big part in the whole story. I, I love that so much. You get to see George Perez do some Hulk work here, but then he would go on later, like a year or so later, to do Future Imperfect. So you could tell George Perez just like, this is fun drawing Hulk. He's having a good time. And then right at the end of that little sequence, it starts to snow. And Wolverine's like, snow in May? And it's a subtle little thing, but it's just that like sense of foreboding and ominous and like things are going really really wrong i think it's the kind of physical manifestation of that that eerie silence that we're t that we keep talking about where it's just you look around and everyone knows that feeling of just kind of the quiet beauty of like a snowfall or something like that and to have it here is just it's just one of those chef's kiss little choices so cool yeah we get the creation of taraxia the terrible just like she's just it's so over the top that I love it. With Thanos is like a petulant child. He's like, you're not going to love me? I'll create my perfect lady who kind of looks a little bit like me. Yeah. And she's going to love me no matter what. And then he's like, I no longer have any need of you, to, he says to death. And just seven silent panels after that. And it's just this perfect pacing of her turning around, walking away, him being pawed by Taraxia, and then the glint of pain and anguish and just fury like psh, comes out of his eye that sort of brings us to the end because you get warlock getting everybody together getting them ready and then explaining that oh yeah they're all gonna die like we're just doing this as a distraction silver surfer's like oh my stars and garters like how could this happen but warlock's like look we're playing a different game of chess right here brother all these people have to die in order for us to maybe have a chance of winning before we get into more of the comments from listeners for this issue, I want to suggest reading Silver Surfer issue number 54 at this point. If you if you want a companion piece, um, it takes place around the same time as this issue, and it has a really great story of Silver Surfer on planet Earth. It's basically when everybody's in the, the room gathering, Silver Surfer's like, I need to go get some air, bro. And he goes out, he just starts flying around the planet, and he goes to a zoo, he starts talking to the animals, he's like, what kind of creature are you to a penguin? But then he runs into the rhino and the rhino is just pissed off and like he's angry and he's frustrated and he's freaking out. And then he hears a gunshot and somebody shoots a tiger and then rhino loses it. And it's just like a character piece in the midst of this giant space epic that I think is a beautiful tie into the whole situation. Um, Kevin Sheen at the Kevin Sheen tweeted and he said, doom being doom and pointing to a panel in which Iron Man's like, you're going to be a jerk. And Doom is like, that is my way. It's good. And Kevin also wants to see Tony Stark using the word blazes more often. Yeah, everybody should. Tucker, you should find a way to include that into, into more of your everyday speech. I was literally thinking something similar to this. We were talking about Star Wars, like saying blast like Luke does, like it's some crazy Star Wars curse word. Yep. It's so funny and awesome to me. It's a similar thing. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, issue number four is the issue that I've read second most 
for the series. This is the big, huge battle issue. And it, to me, I would always like go back over and over and over and see all like the things that happen because, you know, it opens up with Thor and Fire Lord and Namor and Iron Man just like going after Thanos and him just like, pause. So what's happening here? <laughs> He's just having a great time. And then to your point from earlier, friggin' Mephisto. Yeah. It's one of those things that I think perfectly encapsulates like what this team is doing with Mephisto in here. What your characters do under pressure, what your characters do in kind of pivotal moments informs who they are. That is the most pure embodiment of characterization. And I love the way that he's scheming. I think all of my favorite characters at least have an element of kind of villainy to them, if not all-out villainy. Because I, I was actually thinking when you were talking about Silver Surfer that Nornrad, one of my favorite characters. But then I also think, like, Magneto, one of my favorite characters. And then in this, like, one of the best and, and most beloved Marvel stories ever, my favorite character is pretty easily Mephisto. And this is one of those major character moments, like I was saying before, that really defines who he is in terms of everything going on in Infinity Gauntlet. And then, of course, given how it resonates in terms of just his biggest character beats in terms of that character's entire history. He he convinces Thanos to like give a slight chance to all the heroes. So he Thanos basically turns off the omniscient part of the Infinity Gauntlet. He won't like know everything that's happening around him, whether it's time or space or like read minds. Like he's cutting off certain sensory, but keeping all the power and all the ability to manipulate different aspects. So he's like, that'll give them a small chance. It'll make it sporting. And then he snaps and just the the best part is he had he'd moved from where he paused so namor and and the, like all the blasts from the first page they just go crashing into stone and like he's just laughing he's just having a great old time you can sort of like hear the music and hear the up tempo and just like bing and a bang and a bing and a boom and how this is moving so quickly at this point and i love that our pov character is star fox who at this point has no mouth, but is just observing it all. And we get his commentary and his added like perspective on all the characters and stuff. Man, it gets really, really fun. What's important to point out is that here in this issue is the changeover from George Perez to Ron Lim. Ron Lim comes in truly at the end of the Drax Hulk part of the opening salvo they had been fighting thanos they punch him and from one page to another it goes into ron Lim's art but it's a really super well done pretty seamless transition i actually had to go back and figure out where it moved over ron at this point had been also doing duty on silver surfer he had been drawing the two years of lead-up stories a lot of them and so he's the perfect person to come into this i actually grabbed something that I did want to read in here. 13th Dimension is a website and has a good interview up with George Perez about the Infinity Gauntlet. And Perez says, the reason I even took on the project was that I wanted to draw as many characters at Marvel as I could. He says, unfortunately, I also chose to do that at the same time I had contracted to write and draw a book for our distinguished competition. 
I'm paraphrasing that there. And he says it ended up being way too much work. There's a little, you know, disappointment from his side because the story went into outer space and they were facing Thanos. It wasn't all the superhero stuff that he wanted, but he had to bow out. And so he talks about Ron Lim and George says, I always thought that the books should have been done by Ron Lim to begin with. Ron Lim set up everything with Jim Starlin. He did the Thanos quest and everything else. So it seemed only just that Ron should, because Ron was only supposed to replace me for the last half of issue number four, because I was falling far behind. When they said Ron could fill in and jump onto issue number five, George Perez says, why don't you just let Ron finish the series? I'll gladly ink Ron's covers just to show that there's no petulance on my part. And so George had a bow because he knew he couldn't keep it on schedule. So that's why Ron comes in. And, you know, Ron is such an important part of this story, but you only see him from the back half of it. But you can see George's perspective is super professional, super wonderful and giving and thoughtful and praises Ron's work because it is really worthy of it. You know, some of the most memorable stuff happens in these big battle issues and that's most of it's Ron Lin. That's awesome. I love that. This battle issue, like it's just so many cool things. You know, you've Drax and the Hulk, Doom almost getting the gauntlet, Eric Masterson, Thor, like being just sort of a chump and is like, womp womp, that guy. Fire Lord, <laughs> total punk. Wolverine, like popping, getting the claws in Thanos' chest and like this moment of like, I got him and then it all falls apart. But two moments screwed me up Yep. as a child. Like, remember, <laughs> I read this when I was like 10, 11 years old. And it's Thanos backhands Namor and She-Hulk. And while he backhands them, he puts this moss on their chests. And it's over like three or four panels. The moss grows and they're trying to rip it off. And they're like, take it off, get it off, get it off. And it kills them. Haunted by that. Yeah. (laughs) So messed up. I love that. And then the whole Scarlet Witch and Cyclops sequence, especially, you know, like the Scarlet Witch part, Definitely, you can see the influence on the MCU on that final battle with Thanos and Scarlet Witch at the end of Infinity War. And then, you know, it's all good. And then there's like this back and forth. But then Thanos destroys Scarlet Witch, but Cyclops is there. And then what Thanos does to Cyclops, he puts this clear block around Cyclops's head. He doesn't do like he doesn't murder him straight out. He suffocates him and Cyclops's optic blast just can't break through and the the moment where captain america is smashing at the block on cyclops's head to try and free him to no avail just what that does to a child is turn them into <laughs> me it's wild some cool stuff with a vision that again like you see in the mcu there's the shots of cloak and this was really my main exposure to the character of cloak as a kid and i was like oh that guy's cool he grabs thanos he gets them, but then you get the panel, like the beads of sweat on poor Cloak's face. And he's like, I don't know if I can hold them. And then Thanos breaks open and Ron Lim, such a genius, little tiny little bits of Cloak's cloak just left over after he's exploded them. That to me is just so dirty. The deaths of Spider-Man smashed with a rock. The most like undignified death in the whole thing. Yeah. That's the thing is that, like, you have this kind of all-powerful character and you would understand you would go along with the choice if it was just like, okay, he's just pointing the gauntlet at people and just zapping them out of existence. 
but to to make the choice to be like we're gonna make so many of these deaths so personal and so visceral and so like heartbreaking and at times disturbing is such a powerful choice it's so cool because again you talk about the highs and lows of this story you know like when you know things go wrong in a great story you really want them to go wrong so when you feel these things it only makes those kind of later moments resonate even more but yeah you got to go through the difficult parts first <laughs> yeah uh it turns thor to glass breaks him turns nova into cubes stomps on him a uh, friggin iron man think of iron man now but iron man in 1991 yeah he's fine he's iron man gets his head pulled off by Taraxia. And like, there's just in the background of a panel, his head is bouncing. So, so messed up. Quasar, I always loved uh, and like was horrified by the, the Quasar standoff because Quasar is like, I've got my, you know, quantum meds. I'm going to stop you. And Thanos is like, oh, shut up. You suck. And he takes his hands. And then Quasar's like, not again, which is... <laughs> So messed up because he'd already he literally lost his hands to the this villain Maelstrom not long before in, a, in another situation. It's messed up. But then you have the Captain America moment, which, come on, that's like everything right there. And, you know, it's especially cool looking at it in terms of that Quasar moment right before because there is that similar kind of panel structure of like Thanos, you know, literally facing off, you know, both these characters in profile looking at each other about to, sh you know, have this showdown. And then you see the, the, how the Quasar moment kind of ends up, obviously it's kind of the second beat in this little moment and in, in this part of the fight. And it's so, so awesome. Yeah. Standing up to Thanos, even though there's no chance for him to win. He will not back down. The shield destroyed. He will not back down. He goes for the punch. He will not back down. Man, it's so good. I had to explain to a, someone who was new to Marvel a couple of years ago. They were like, I don't know. Captain America is cool, but like, I don't get it. And they were also like, Infinity Gauntlet, uh, it's fine. And I was like, this. look at the scene from this perspective and look at what that means. And they were like, ah, I get it. Ah, I see. I, I also I also love I think it happens a few times throughout the story of just those little moments where Stalin just writes echoes. Um, one just like that's just a cool word for like five different reasons. But then just to kind of place that and just say like this is that little moment of silence before, you know, a big moment or in the aftermath of a big moment. I think it adds to the rhythm of it. You know what I mean? It's just one of those those little writing you know kind of tools that that you know a great writer has where you you can feel the rhythm of a story and something like that gives you pause before you go back in it's like this dance it's just unbelievably paced yeah and then you get to like the tragedy of silver surfer just barely missing could have ended the whole thing and then one of my favorite lines by adam warlock he says eternity it is now your turn big double page splash to end the issue of the cosmic abstracts and, and gods coming down to like throw down with Thanos is so cool. A couple of comments in here from listeners. Osgino at yo underscore Saf says poor Cyclops getting suffocated and blasting himself in the face. Luckily yeah. his optic blast cannot harm him himself, but uh, still that's a terrible way to go. <laughs> Old painty can Ed 
at the Edliest Catch says, uh, number one was the first comic he ever bought for himself, so the story has always been really special, but the epic fight scene with all the heroes getting wiped out is his pick, especially Cyclops. Horrified him as a kid. More love for Quasar from Anonymous Listener. Double Midnight Comics and Games jumping in with the Captain America. Same with Mark McDonough with the Captain America and Silver Surfer bit. Just that issue has a lot of connections for a lot of people. That little individual panel of the Surfer reaching for the gauntlet as well. Like that's one of those things where like I want that on a poster. Uh, It's so gorgeous. It captures the movement so amazingly. Yeah. All right. Into number five, which for me was the for the longest time as a kid, I couldn't find the issue. I didn't read it. It was actually years until I actually read number five. So it's the one I have the least like connection to. But it's also one of the coolest ones because it's the big epic cosmic battle. I want to make sure to highlight the colors by Laughlin and Shield because in this issue, they're spectacular. I think if you like... I'm flipping through this on Marvel Unlimited right now, and you, and you just kind of take a, an overview of these 40 pages. It's it's like the brightest, like most Technicolor issue of all of them, and I love that. Like so, the the pages that are like pink and yellow are so pink and yellow. The pages that are blue and green are so blue and green. The pages that are like black and white are so those things as well. You are literally kind of getting hit in the face with these like explosions of light, as if you were there. Really cool. And in terms of pacing, you go from panel or a page where the Celestials are literally throwing planets at Thanos to jumping back to Earth, to New York City, and seeing that the planet is in an ice age. And then Annihilus and his annihilation forces, his negative zone forces, are now infiltrating the planet and they are coming in to take over it is such like a nightmare on every level and then like think about it again you've got mephisto manipulating he's joining the fray he's betraying thanos and like thanos beating everyone going after eternity and then you see silver surfer and adam warlock take a powder go back to earth go to dr strange's house it has one of my favorite single panels like it feels like such a a dark comedy moment where strange is like how goes the struggle and warlock's like poorly silver's like horrendously it's just like (laughs) so great thanos becomes eternity which is such a fun moment and then everything swerves because nebula grabs the gauntlet which is such a cool idea but i am sure so many readers were like get the heck out of here what are you talking about this is wild i love this issue i think it's so much fun you never imagine that the story's going to go that way and beyond that that the issue is going to end as it does you know what i mean if anything you think like okay nebby's going to get it and this is going to be a beat in the story and then we're going to kind of go back to where we were before and then end before going to the final issue but how it ends on that beat and it really solidifies it is like oh this is a huge major turning point in the story is so bold and i, I think it's so cool yeah nebula sort of like she takes over and she starts moving stuff around there's a great funny moment where warlock is roasting thanos at the sanctum sanctorum that is just a hoot he's like then i was like all right i get it i I messed up i messed up all right i'm I'm in it (laughs) i'm on your side now let's do this uh and so we jump into issue number six which for me is the issue i've read the most like i know where i was i know roughly when i was when i got it i remember buying issue number six of infinity gauntlet and issue number three of jim lee's x-men off the spinner rack at the local five and ten in the in the town where i was living at the time and it 
like changed me. This was one of those books that changed me forever. And this is the issue that I've read and reread the most times. You've got so many cool things like the idea of people being brought back and some of them remembering, but some of them not. Nebula versus the cosmic beings, again, with all the colors, little bits of flirting and comedy with Gamora and Iron Man, which would again be brought back and used later in comics. Warlock's trickery and emergence from the Soul Stone. One of my favorite bits in the whole series is the scramble for the gauntlet and Ron Lim's choreography. Drax and Hulk fighting each other when they shouldn't. Thor punching Thanos in the face while holding Mjolnir. There's a 15-panel page of everyone going, going, going for the gauntlet. It's kind of perfect. And then, of course, Farmer Thanos, which is so much fun. Glad that made it to the MCU. I completely agree. It's it's so beautiful, and it's such an understated way to end this part of the story. And I think that does it so much justice because... It goes against your intuition in every single way. You know, I think if you asked anyone, you know, to read the first five issues of this story and then you would say, how, OK, how does the six issue end and have them guess, they would absolutely, I think, guess like, oh, the heroes come together and they finally defeat Thanos and he gets cast into oblivion or into another, you know, reality or something like that um, or they kill him. You know what I mean? Something like, you know, very kind of cut and dry or, you know, set him up, knock him down in that way. But to have this ending that is so character driven and so quiet and kind of this internal monologue for this character, it elevates it beyond that any kind of big final battle could have ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One last comment in here from one of our listeners, Russell Lee, says, My favorite part was when Thanos realized he was being a jerk after seeing how Nebula was using the gauntlet and then helped stop her. And then he retired, LOL. (laughs) Uh, I agree. So that was Infinity Gauntlet. If you want to continue reading more, you can, of course, go to Warlock in the Infinity Watch, which is the, the story that picks up with Adam Warlock now with the gauntlet and then eventually that rolls into the infinity war storyline which is also really cool you could also read silver server issues 51 through 60 which those are i think like the only official tie-ins to the big infinity gauntlet story or even 34 through 50 is kind of the prelude alongside um thanos quest lots of cool stuff all of that available on marvel unlimited tucker i think we did it we did it it man what a joy Heck yeah Keep on the lookout for more Reading Club stuff. I think we're going to be talking about War of the Realms, and, and we want your suggestions. Hit us up at Agent M, at Tucker Marcus, hashtag Marvel's Pull List, and we'll be back with another episode next week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel, and Zachary Goldberg. Our audio development manager is Lauren Wiener. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio, and Brad Barton is doing the good work by teaching his children all about the glory the majesty, the beauty of Namor, the Submariner. Won't you do that if you're spending more time with your children today? I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.